0: Father, greater love has no man than he who gives his life for his friends. Lord, yesterday my heart was turned to events of 19 years ago. and How on that day, those who respond to the sound of trouble and run towards it and not flee from it, Lord, 60 police officers died that day. 437 firefighters died that day. They were celebrated as heroes as they were. Yet this morning, Lord, my earnest prayer is for that mom of that six-year-old girl who lies in the hospital, wounded in the head, and her partner simply because they wore the uniform. People outside the hospital chanting for their death. Lord, I pray for our nation, how we've come to this point. And yet I also see it reflective of John 16, where he says for the believer, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day that when they put you to death, they'll think God's doing, they're doing God a service. Simply because we wear the mantle of Jesus Christ. Lord, allow us to understand the seriousness of what it means to live in compliance with your word to live in relationship with Your Son. And give us the strength and the encouragement that we need day to day to live through the power of Your Spirit, knowing that one day You will make all things right. We look for that day, Lord. We pray for it. In the meantime, we will watch. We will wait We will serve through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. In Johannesburg, South Africa, on average, 40 to 50 babies are abandoned on the streets to die of exposure each month. There's a ministry in Johannesburg. It's a tiny little church, mission church, And they put a hole through the wall. They put in that hole a small door with the words door of hope painted on it. The door is what's historically known as a baby wheel because back, 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 back in the day they had a wagon wheel and you'd lay the baby on one side and ring the bell and then they would open the door and turn the wheel and the baby would come inside where they would take care of it. That mission saves about 100 babies a year. The United States is no exception with this. 22,000 babies abandoned each year. Can you imagine? 22,000 babies each year. And while that issue was willfully ignored for years, as it turns out, the state of Texas was the first one to lead the way in 1999 with what are known as safe haven laws. That is, a mother could leave their child with the uh, hospital or fire station. I think the police as well, provided that the baby was under 72 hours old. Doors, door of hope, door of life. If you look this up, you'll find that there are all kinds of uh, words that are used in different countries. Window to life. They say different ways about these, but this is every country has these kinds of things. And doors form some of the most significant metaphors in any language. When we lived in Italy, I took hundreds of pictures of doors. One day soon, I think we're going to put them together and we're going to put them on the wall. And, uh, and I always wondered who went through them, uh, what they led to. I mean, open doors have uh, forever been a symbol of new beginnings. It shows there's a way out or there's a way in. It provides a view of what lies ahead. And a closed or a locked door, on the other hand, frustrates, obstructs us. Doors are opportunities or perhaps can form a prison. If you um, if you ever have the opportunity to visit Berlin, there's there's little actually there in Berlin. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's little in that city that in any way allows you to think that it's nearly 800 years old. It's like it was built in the 50s. Well, I guess that's because it was. I mean, by the end of World War II... It was nothing but rubble and ruin except for one area, the Museum Island Complex in the historic center of Berlin. And while many of the buildings were destroyed in comparison to the rest of the city, it was essentially left alone. And the reason it was left alone is because it was filled with some of the world's most valuable artifacts from antiquity. 2012, Barbara and I had the opportunity to go to that island, and one of the museums we visited on that island was the Pergamum Museum. And as it turns out, uh, in the early 1900s, the German archaeologists, they excavated Babylon, and they dismantled the Ishtar Gate, and they took it to Berlin. This thing is 50 feet high, this gate is, right? And they put it in a museum and they, they meticulously put it back together. If you've been there to see it or been through it or even have seen a picture of it, you understand how marvelous it is. It was, in fact, King Nebuchadnezzar who ordered the construction of that gate and dedicated it to the goddess Ishtar. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament text, you have not heard ishtar but you have heard astaroth or ashtaroth the asher poles these this is the same goddess as that others know it by the spring celebration of easter which by the way constantine purged of its pagan roots infused it with christianity and now it's one of our most sacred christian holidays this gate was part of a grand processional, and it truly was. The walls lined with uh, these uh, lions and, and bulls and dragons in this beautiful blue glazed uh, brick, which they have reconstructed a portion of there in that museum. So when you're walking into it, you're walking in the real space, the actual space that you, and then you go through the gate. Now, I'm not one who's given to flights of the imagination. But when I stood there in that gate, thinking that Nebuchadnezzar had walked through this very gate, Daniel had walked through this gate, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and even Alexander the Great walked through that gate. It's an amazing uh, thing. It was very meaningful for me. And one cannot look at what Nebuchadnezzar did in Babylon and not be impressed. Babylon was by all accounts one of the most impressive of all the ancient cities, in fact holding one of the ancient wonders of the world which you're all heard of at least the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was comparable to cities like Rome or Carthage. She was one of the commercial centers of the entire world. Yet 360, or not even that long, uh, 630 years after Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon barely qualified as a village. It was desolate, it was deserted, and it was surrounded by a sea of sand. But that's when the New Testament writers were writing. And they wrote of her as if she was the world's sole superpower. 1 Peter five thirteen through 14 reads this way. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. She who is at Babylon? Peter was nowhere near Babylon. Peter was in Rome. So somewhere between Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon... And Peter's Babylon, the literal city, had taken on something more. It had become a symbol of something. It had become the spirit of something. But what? When you look at its beginnings, we discover in Genesis 10.10 that a fellow by the name of Nimrod founded uh, Babylon. Now, we're told he was a great hunter, but... (laughs) In colloquial language today, few people would take it as a compliment if you said you Nimrod. I mean, right? Why is that? Why? Why would that be? Well, there's an interesting side note if you care to look it up. There is a legitimate connection to that in Bugs Bunny in current usage today. However. The usage in Bugs Bunny was actually reflective of a much earlier usage in that Nimrod's folly was the Tower of Babel. And Nimrod, oh, by the way, in Akkadian, uh, actually means uh, rebel or rebel in his case. So he embodied rebellion. But rebellion against what? I mean, he wasn't Luke Skywalker. There was, there was no empire to rebel against. So it appears that the rise of his empire, seated in Babylon, was the actual rebellion itself. It was rebellion against God's theocracy. We don't need you to rule us. We can rule ourselves. I mean, it, isn't it reminiscent of the ancient Israelites when they said, give us a king, give us a king. And God said, you don't want a king you going know, to take all your resources. No, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. We don't want you to rule over us. Now, the passages we're looking at, and then I'm going to stay essentially outside of them, because it's Revelation 17 and 18. They're connected together. They're sort of like Russian nesting dolls. Have you seen those little dolls? You take one and then there's another one in there and you take it out. And well, 17 and 18 are a couple of these nesting uh, dolls. We saw in chapter 16 the completion of all this. We saw when God Himself said, It is done. Now, so now what we're going to do is we're going to open these nesting dolls because they're inside. They're inside of previous passages all the way going going all the way back, actually, to chapter chapter 12. And this message is kind of like a nesting doll itself where we're going to go because we have to know who Babylon is. And because both of these chapters center around, center around Babylon and the identity of a woman. Verse 1 begins, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now, it's critical for us to know exactly what he's talking about. And almost all commentators accurately determine that the identity of the woman is is identified with Babylon. She stands for mankind's system of religious and political belief that is separated from God. And that's true religiously. That's also true politically. My grandmother used to tell me, perhaps yours did too, perhaps you've said this to yourself, never talk about religion and politics. (laughs) Yeah, those are the very two things that are in view here, you know, because it will, it, it's just not going to go well when you talk about those two things. Yet they are, in fact, to a great degree, the large things that occupy our minds. Now, sometimes the problem, particularly in the book of Revelation, comes when commentators try to identify particular religious systems or try to identify political systems that John is talking about. So for those of you who already have developed specific opinions about this woman's identity, I want you to please hear uh, me out, and I'll start essentially with my conclusion. First, I do not hold in any sense or manner that Babylon is a specific denomination, religion, or even identifiable uh, religious or political system. So I need to explain that. And some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I believe that this is where it's best suited right here in revolution, Revelation Revolution, 17. Maybe we'll start one. So some of you will hear it for the first time. Others, uh, and I trust it will challenge your thinking if you do. Others, I, I trust that it will help embed the thought. Now we had lived in Jordan for about five years, and uh, I had a thought that occurred to me while I was there, and I've really kind of pondered on it for about thirty years. I mean, it struck me like a bolt from uh, the blue, but I didn't share it widely for for several years because novel ideas. And you know what? This is amazing to me because it was novel then, but if you look it up on the Internet now, you'll actually find traces of it, which is uh, fascinating for me. Uh, But anyway, in 1999, I was in a week-long mentoring course uh, taught by my former professor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, um, Howie Baby, prof, as we called him. Uh, I was the only DTS graduate in the course So I was able to take him out a few times, and so I took him out to lunch. Just the two of us, it was great. We talked DTS, we talked shop, uh, we talked about the course. And then I said, hey, could I run this by you? And he says, sure. So I ran it by him, and his response was, you know, I've not heard that, but it has merit. Now, when an academic says it has merit, that's like, you know, do do the dance because you're on to something here. And his words were a real blessing for me. So back to Jordan. While I was in Jordan, I taught Old Testament survey at the Jordanian Evangelical Theological Seminary, which had been founded only the year before by a fellow DTS graduate. It wasn't long, as you can imagine, if you are doing Old Testament survey in Genesis, you get to Genesis 11, which I'm going to read to you now. Now, the whole earth had one language, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Now, I read this in English. The interpreter read this in, uh, obviously, Arabic. And when he got to Babel, It just struck a chord in me that it just struck me because I said to myself, I I know what that word means. I believe that I do because the very first phrase, other than, you know, hello, uh, that I learned, because this is because I had children. This may be one of the first phrases that you ever use with your children as well Is shut the door, (laughs) close the door, sack it a that means shut the door. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this Arabic word bab had anything to do with the Hebrew word babel, and what would it mean? So first, I, of course, go to English. Oxford defines babel as what you would, how you would define it. Essentially, confusion, the sound of many voices speaking at one time, chaos, so forth. So for the two years that, he, uh, that I studied Hebrew at uh, Dallas Seminary, I at least remembered one word, and that was El, uh, which means God. El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai. So was the Hebrew El associated with Babel? Could it be that Babel, though having coming to mean confusion to us, actually meant the door of God. So I became even more excited. I love words, so I get excited about words. And so there I was flipping through my Hebrew lexicon and I found it. And it means the door of God. It's actually from an Akkadian phrase, which means the gate of God. And it remains to this day a precious discovery uh, for me. Now, as a play on words, Babel rhymes with the Hebrew word for confusion. But Babel does not mean confusion, not in the Bible. What it means is the door of God. So my mind began to race. And it's funny when this happens, where you'll hear some songwriters and they actually, the song is written. they, They can't print it out fast enough. It's just done. And that's the way this was. My mind began to start connecting dots in a beautiful pattern, what commentators have often called the scarlet thread, that is, the story of salvation. I couldn't write fast enough. I turned to Genesis 28 because I'd been reading through these things, preparing for the Old Testament survey. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his <laughs> they didn't have the "my pillow guy back then.. Whew. These guys slept with rocks under their heads. I just anyway, uh, that always startles me when I read that. And he lay in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up. "...to the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac." Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the door of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Think about that in the Bible. Usually heaven is not referred to. Sometimes it is as the atmosphere or the stars out there in outer space. But it's usually a figure of speech for God himself. When one prays to heaven, one is not praying to the stars. One is not praying to empty space. One is praying to God. We see this in Daniel. We see this in Luke. We Even the prodigal son. You can't sin against a place. So now instead of Babel, Bab-el you have Bethel, the house of God. Instead of man building a stairway to God, God lowered a stairway to us. Now, this is deliberate because you have to remember something. And that's the silent witness in all of this is that the author of both Genesis 11 and Genesis 28 is the same man, Moses. Understand that Moses was making an unveiled reference back to Genesis 11, Babylon. The O-N at the end of Babel-on, Babylon, which is what we call it, simply means the place of. It's a grammatical designator. It says the place of Babel. The place of what? That great An ancient city that generated pride as the seat of worldly power has now become symbolic of the man-centered worldly system that is set against God. When they set and when we set the stability of God's sovereignty in our lives and we replace it with the worldly system that surrounds us, the only thing that we have. Remaining is confusion. So men and women reached to God and were dispersed because they failed to understand that you cannot come to God on your own terms. We do not reach to God in our strength. In fact, that's part of the point of why this was given to Jacob. I mean, obviously, Jacob, it was going to come to him. But Jacob, far from being prideful, he wasn't saying, I'm going to build something up to God. He was running for his life because he was a deceitful, dishonest thief. That's what he was. And there he was, not in a place of pride. Oh, look at me, God, how good I am. He was at rock bottom. He was at the bottom of every, everything in his life. And sadly, that's a place that we all visit from time to time. I mean, there's hardly a place more common than that. We all go there, no matter what your place of birth, your socio-economic standing, your education, or even your religious experience. You think just because you're a faithful Christian, you can't hit rock bottom? You surely can. Rock bottom is a place where it seems like it can't get any lower, can't get any worse. And that's where Jacob was. I mean, he even laid his head on a rock for crying out loud. He felt the pain of that sh- and the shame of that fleeing from everything that was precious to him. Everything that was precious to him. He left in order to save his life. But I also want you to feel something else. I want you to feel the power of that moment because it was in that moment, it was at that place and that time that God Himself revealed His blessings to Jacob. The blessing stolen by deceit. Don't give Jacob a pass. The guy was a rascal. But the blessing stolen was now given freely by God's grace. Jacob was there because of his sin, not because of his righteousness. He was not deserving of God's blessing and grace. It was darkness where God met Jacob, and the same is true with us. We don't deserve God's grace or his mercy. God meets us because of His grace. It's Because of who He is, He meets us where we are. However, unlike Babylon, where you build a stairway to God, God builds a stairway to you. It's another thing I want you to notice here. God is not in any particular geographical location. Bethel was no more where, where God is than the rest of the world. We see this when John or when uh, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Babel, in the biblical story written by Moses, becomes Bethel, the house of God. So instead of trying to build your way to God, God shows you that he is wherever you are, wherever I am, wherever you lay your head, that is Bethel. The story of my discovery is not quite complete. Of one kind of, one final thought that just uh, went through my mind, like the, the door of hope that takes in the unwanted, the abandoned, the outcast, the lost. There's nothing more lost than an infant abandoned by her mother. It's as lost as you can be, and yet these doors now offer hope. So from one of my favorite passages, John 10, the words of Jesus Christ, finally, Complete the circle. John 10, 1-9 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all things out, all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. Okay? So here's the interpretation. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Jesus is going to say it right here. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, Truly, I say to you, Anna Elbab, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. There are only two religions. I don't. I don't care what the books say. I don't. I, I'm concerned with what the Bible says. There are only two religions in the world today. It's either Babel or Bethel. That's it. Babel is any attempt to reach God on your own strength, in your own pride. Bethel is filled with humility in grace. God reaching to you in his strength. Babel represents people in their pride, in their glory, in their strength, declaring in essence, and I won't bore you with the fifteen citations or the fifty citations that I could bring. I am God. You wouldn't think that people would those word even just quoting somebody saying that is it leaves me feeling sick. Yet they will say it with pride. Bethel is understanding that God is with you wherever you are. Even when the shadows hang dark on your life, God is willing and able to to break through into your life, to strengthen you. Listen to what He said in Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Where is your future? Where is your hope? Where is your heart? Like Jacob, I can only imagine that either Online or in this room, there are some who feel abandoned by God. There are some whose heart is heavy today. If you know Him, turn to Him. Trust Him. He will lift you up. If you don't know Him, trust Christ today as your Savior. Perhaps your heart is strong. And you are indeed powerful. You're young, maybe powerful, filled with strength. That's not going to get you there. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. There's nothing that you have that will earn you salvation based on your righteousness. It all comes to Christ. It is not good enough. The only thing that is good enough is to lay... As a lost infant through the door of hope, the door of life that is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans, even though originally orphaned we may be, but you have taken us in. You have loved on us. You have cared for us. Your Son, Jesus Christ, gave His life for us that we might live. Lord, we long for the day when we're with You. We long for the day when the meaninglessness Of so much of this world is past. And only light. And only the sound and the sight of you are before us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.